Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Now, um, it, it feels like the world of design and manufacturing is uh, digitizing and connecting at a really exponential rate. And uh, that is kind of alarming to some people because it could represent a challenge. How, how do you keep up and you know keep abreast of all these changes? But what's more exciting is this potentially an even bigger opportunity. And if the current pandemic has shown us anything, I think it's shown us that it's possible to rethink a traditional value proposition and apply it to new products, new markets, and even new business models in timescales that um, probably were ordinarily thought of as impossible. And this idea of an industry that's kind of always on, constantly ready uh, uh, to respond to any challenge or opportunity with the same levels of agility as we've seen during the pandemic is kind of now become like a holy grail. It's something we want to hold on to. But if we do it, it requires us to think really differently about our businesses and potentially embrace digital in ways we haven't done before. Now, it sounds easy, but how on earth do we get there? So to help us explore that conversation, I'd like to welcome my guests for today's episode. So we have Charlotte Horobin, who's the regional director across the Midlands and East for Make UK. That's the national body for UK manufacturing. And Ralph H. Comor from Comor Interim Management, and Ralph is currently working at Waldner Group. He's an interim manager there, and he's a digital sales evangelist and also a BIM enthusiast. So a warm welcome to you both. Hi, Asif. Lovely to be here, and thank you for, for the invite to talk about what is a really, really important topic. Hello, Asif. Thank you for the invitation. No, you're very welcome. Okay, so Charlotte, um, uh, I'm sure most people have heard <laughs> Make UK, but perhaps you could just help uh, the audience to understand a little bit more about the work you do um, as part of Make UK for the industry. Absolutely, thank you. Um, so Make UK is the national body for UK manufacturers. We represent proudly over 22,000 of our nation's makers um, and over 40 trade associations. Uh, and our role really is to understand the pains of the sector and to be able to signpost manufacturers towards uh, support that either we are able to provide directly. We do a lot around training and, and legal advice and, and connecting peer groups. We signpost to other organisations such as catapult centres, universities and, and other stakeholders that perhaps have got funding and support available for those businesses. And where there are gaps, we make sure that we can advise and, and support government to make sure that they can um, enable uh, an environment for manufacturers to grow. Um, our members are everything from small family-owned businesses all the way through to large original equipment manufacturers. Uh, we've got people making uh, underwear, pies, all the way through to Formula One teams um, and parts for fast jets. So really very diverse and a, an interesting membership. 
uh, real cross-section there, and I do like the sound of the pie manufacturers. Um, so, Ralph, could you tell us a little bit about Waldner Group and, and kind of you know what they design, what they make, what they sell, markets they serve, please? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So, as you uh, already said, I'm an interim manager and uh, right now uh, serving the Waldner Group. Waldner Group is a, let's say, a typical uh, German small, medium business. It's family-owned, something like uh, 1,500 uh, employees. And uh, um, there's a description for these kind of uh, companies in Germany. It's an English description. We call them hidden champions. Usually they are uh, very specialized in a, in a niche and quite often they are market leaders, even world market leaders. And this is also due to, uh, to the Wartner Group. They are specialized in uh, some very delicate uh, things. And one of the uh, bigger uh, business uh, divisions is the uh, Waldner Lab company. So we are uh, manufacturing uh, and uh, installing laboratories for pharmaceutical, chemical companies, food companies all around the world. Fantastic. So uh, two really great guests to help us discuss this topic. So let's kind of dive straight in in our normal style. So Charlotte, I'm, I'm going to sort of uh, sort of come to you first. Now, um, we referenced earlier on this kind of this idea that's been planted in our minds now of what's possible, this always on, um, digitally ready, agile industry. It, I mean, it's really exciting. Even talking about it, I'm finding myself feeling quite motivated. Now, you meet so many manufacturers, as we've just said, a real cross-section of them in your role. How realistic do you think is it for us to be able to get to that kind of level of always-on digital agility and readiness? We're, we're certainly seeing that manufacturers, the awareness uh, really is building. So uh, two years ago, we found that probably three in 10 manufacturers um, were not really aware of, of what possibilities were out there and weren't engaging in what we would call uh, industrial digital technologies. Today, that's now down to one in 10, and we've seen really a shift towards the other end, actually those embracing technology and a new way of working. And there's a much greater proportion now at what we kind of frame the revolutionary end there, you know, employing these different methods, employing this different technology to totally change the way that they do business, what they sell and, and you know, how they deliver revenue back to their own organisation, not just through products, but also that wider service offering, which I think is really important. So it sounds like it actually is a realistic prospect. It, 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 from what you're saying, is it feels like we have a chance at getting this kind of digitally ready, agile industry up and running, uh, and perhaps we're, we're almost already on the road. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, in terms of um, it becoming true and, and how near that is to us, eight out of 10 actually think that it, it's going to be a reality by 2025, which we know how quickly this year has gone. Um, that is not far away at all. <laughs> Yes, this year certainly has flown by. So, so Ralph, now, um, I remember when, when I, I sort of met you first and we, we talked, you, you told me a really, really powerful story about the sort of transformation that, that went through at Waldner Group as a result of the pandemic. Um, could, you, could you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, how the company responded to it and the, the new product lines that, uh, that you developed as a result? Yeah, definitely. I just want to add one thing. Uh, the small and medium companies are mainly driven by their customers, by the big corporates. For us, it's, for example, a Roche, a Johnson & Johnson, or a BASF or Bayer company that is really demanding digitalization and agility. And so they really put us under pressure 
to transform ourselves. So it's it, it's a mix. Of course, we want to, but it's always an investment. It's a family-owned company, so uh, limited resources. But then the big uh, players really are pushing and just demanding, hey, if, if you want to get this contract awarded, you have to do this and that, or be prepared for this and that uh, philosophy or, or system. So it's kind of really market-driven. It's, it's not a case of... Um although we'd like to think it is a case of sort of forward thinking leadership it's equally a case of being pulled by the, the market and the customers to say hey you know I, I need you guys to be able to work differently and smarter in in these new ways of of course it's 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 a mix uh, uh, there are some things prepared but then suddenly a big player comes and really asks for uh, a different type of uh, um, construction or uh, a different type of, of, of managing data. So we, we have to deal with this and have to uh, take this into account. And uh, they are driving, uh, at the end, the, the small and medium businesses in my eyes. So, but you, you were asking about our experience concerning uh, COVID and this uh, situation we, we had uh, uh, in spring. Yeah. So usually Wardner is, uh, as I said, a market leader for laboratories. Um, ordinary laboratories for universities, for scientists, for pharmaceutical, chemical, petrochemical, etc. companies, where the uh, people uh, go and uh, do their uh, science and uh, develop new uh, drugs, etc. So they are built into yeah, buildings um at the end and uh, this is what we do since 1908 at the end uh, so more than 110 years now nearly 120 years now um, and uh, the pandemic forced us of course uh, all into lockdown so uh, it was really a story beginning in march this year and um, the ceo of Waldner Lab uh, asked me, hey, what is this going to be for us? What is what, what does this mean, this, this coronavirus and COVID uh, thing? And uh, um, I wrote a little strategy paper. And one of the uh, points was, OK, uh, at that time, uh, it was clear to me that there will be a second wave, which is starting, let's say, right now or the last uh, days. And uh, before uh, the second wave uh, will start, um, I assume there is a demand, a higher demand for laboratories for testing. Yeah? You're living in the UK, you know uh, this is a, a big issue in, uh, in the NHS. And uh, so uh, we thought, okay, but yeah, building a laboratory takes time. You need an architect, you need permissions, et cetera, et cetera. So this takes, um, in, at least in Germany, something like two years, because this is not an ordinary laboratory. It has a high safety standard, and there are some regulations you have to follow. And then we said, okay, um, what about containers? So we really developed, uh, let's say, a new business model. We developed uh, with a small team. Uh, we have been, let's say, 12, 14 people, depending on the, uh, on the, on the period of, of the project. And we developed within four weeks out of the home office, more or less. Everybody was in lockdown. Um, 
a first concept for a mobile COVID-19 test lab in sea containers or in containers. And also the first contract was uh, given to us uh, also with after the fourth week. Really, we, <laughs> we, we finalized the design and uh, the next day or the day uh, after uh, we got the first order. So it was really uh, a very motivating success story for us. And it was also a very interesting uh, time because, yeah, you might remember the lockdown and it, it, everybody, yeah, it, 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 it was a strange atmosphere for everybody at the end. It still is a very strange atmosphere. <laughs> and, and everybody in our team really wanted to help. They wanted to, to do something um, special um, extraordinary, not the normal lab, which they did uh, the last 20 years. So uh, they saw there's something really threatening. And maybe we have something here that can help help people at the end of the day. So uh, out of that, we developed more and more uh, solutions. Uh, we have a, a container solution, which is really um, a mobile, it is um fully equipped turnkey you just buy it including all the devices put it close to a hospital and then you can test there increasing test capacity was our goal yeah and yeah. Uh, we we have different solutions uh, also we, we we put some test devices into a camper so uh like breaking beds some kind of <laughs> 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 so we, we we had a big camper with uh, test devices that can really drive to the hotspots and test the people um, there in a hospital or in a small factory where you have an outbreak. You can isolate them, test them, and everybody that is uh, negative can go home and uh, the positive ones can be sent to, to hospital, etc. And so uh, at, uh, three weeks ago, the last idea was a, a vaccination center because once we have this vaccine my guess is yeah not before mid 21 at the end of the day my personal opinion but how to to vaccinate 40 million germans for zero million and most of them uh, have to get two shots so you have to yeah. to, to get 80 million times a shot so we also developed a solution there. So this is really uh, new. It, it was within four weeks, full of enthusiasm. It was a great experience out of the home office. And this, of course, could never have happened without digitalization and all the tools we, we know we have right now. Also, the all the platforms uh, you are uh, uh, delivering. So this is very interesting uh, and was a great experience for the whole team. It's a great example, uh, so, so thank you for sharing that with us. And um, I just keep coming back to that sort of, you know, the, the soundbite that's sticking in my head is four weeks. In an ordinary situation, if somebody said to uh, an engineering director, you've got four weeks to develop four new product lines and new business streams and new opportunities. Um, again, uh, not in any way kind of downplaying the impact that this pandemic's had uh, and some of the tragic um, consequences of it. But this idea of doing something so fast, so agilely, so, you know, so re literally on point, responding to a real problem. It's just phenomenal. Uh, and so, you know, Charlotte, from the work that you do with 
the companies you meet regularly, how ready and willing do you think they're able to make this new way of working normal? I promise I'd never say the word new normal, but um, here I am saying it. But it feels like that could be the new normal for our industry. But do you think we're ready and willing to, to kind of get there? Um, I'm not sure if we'll ever get back to a, a position of normal now. I think, um, you know, the, the pandemic has really challenged and perhaps opened the eyes of, of manufacturers as to what their teams have been you know, able to do and, and how quickly they um, have been able to to respond and turn things around. Um, and I think, you know, that, that kind of blueprint can be applied for future instances, touch wood, we, we don't face them. But I think practically we all know, you know, there will be future recessions, there will be geopolitical events, there will be, you know, tragedies that are out of our hands. And I think it's, you know, given that structure, um, perhaps some of the the business planning that may have perhaps not been at the, the for, forefront in the, the boardroom. I think that type of um, scenario planning really is at the forefront that this is a reality and we are in a that kind of VUCA world. It, it's volatile, you know, it's quick paced and, and we need to be, you know, agile and, and fast afoot. You know, I can imagine some some very cynical people listening to this thinking, well, you know, it's, if you're in the medical sector or if you were involved in ventilators and PPE, these opportunities exist. But it just strikes me that this new normal, this new way of working, it could apply across kind of all industries. So again, Charlotte, do you, do you think there's any industries that probably this would work particularly well for, or do you think it's equally applicable across all sectors of the industry? I think it's... Um not necessarily equally, but it, I think it is applicable across all industries. Uh, we've seen, you know, that that challenge not of just market demand, but also supply chains and the way that businesses are thinking about where they have had to get their components. As as we saw the pandemic, you know, break out in Asia, that firstly disrupted those supply chains, but we then saw in time as it, it came to Europe that then perhaps uh, other parts of those supply chains were disrupted. So, as an ultimate kind of finishing point we've now got people reassessing their supply chains um, and you know perhaps bringing things in house perhaps finding and sourcing different types of suppliers and also changing what it is that they do for the market what what is the value that they bring to the economy so I think it's given a lot of businesses almost a bit of a, a fresh sheet a blank piece of paper to think about what their capabilities are and not just thinking I'm an aerospace or an automotive supplier but these are my capabilities this is what I've got the possibility to do and this is how I'm going to go out to a global market to be able to bring revenue to my business and the people that work there. Great thank you. And so, so, Ralph, the companies that, aside from Waldner Group and the work that you're doing, um, the companies that are successfully, you know, changing their model in the way that sort of Charlotte described, they sort of looking at their capabilities and their value add and looking where else they could apply those in adjacent markets or in innovative new markets. What is it that they're doing so well that you think perhaps other companies aren't doing so well? What, what's the difference between the, the really great companies and the companies that perhaps aren't, aren't, aren't really adopting this? Uh, the difference is, let's say, leadership. Of course, you, you need a uh, C-level uh, that is open, that is giving uh, the freedom to the, to the designers, to the engineers, to, to really also do what they think they, they want to do. So we really had no limitations. We had no, no, no given framework. So we had the idea. And we also stopped when we said, okay, we thought this is, let's say, 90%. 
something like this. And a typical German engineer only stops when he has 100% or 99.x. And uh, I, I really ha had to stop and say, hey, this is, let's say, our, our idea. And let's just present our idea to the customers, to the world, what they think of it. And we have to adapt it any, anyway, because our business is always a project business, and this depends on local uh, regulations and uh, everything uh, we have to take into account if you uh, want to sell this uh, on a global scale. Yeah, of course, it's, it's different. But the, 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 the basic framework, we had really the, the go from our CEO, and he said, yeah, just go for it, and, and uh, we see what, uh, what happens. And we had this uh, four weeks, we could really play and we were very disciplined also. We had uh, every second day, uh, we had a meeting. So it was really a, also a scrum project management approach. Uh, also yeah, new to, to the com uh, company, uh, some kind of, uh, and uh, yeah, agile, scrum, all these uh, buzzwords, uh, we, we really try to to uh, adapt here. Um, Charlotte just, uh, just said VUCA world. Yeah, we are living in this world. And uh, the the interesting thing is that all the rest of the company, of course, looked at us and they said, hey, how is this possible? Within four weeks, usually it takes 12 months to develop a new idea to, to this stage. And we just said, okay, yeah, we, we were brave, yeah. We we also allowed mistakes, and we were very open, giving feedback and continuous working on the project. Yeah, we we never stopped. Every second day, we increased the level of uh, confidence in the technology, in our solution, and uh, yeah, we and still today we are learning every day uh, concerning this uh, pandemic, how to how to deal with it. So. This is the, the the difference in my eyes. So leadership, get getting the 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 field to 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 play. So so this this sense of um, leadership empowering the rest of the business to kind of have an idea and go and play yeah. using your terms and stopping when you get to I think you said ninety percent sort of you know hundred percent is not the goal. It's just just to be good enough to to kind of you know. To, to get going to be perfect is a killer uh, for this yeah they do say that um, perfection is the enemy of progress or, or something like that i think I, I can't remember who said it but I, i'm stealing that uh, quote from someone else um really interesting so so charlotte I mean, let's let's imagine now we we go to um taking ralph's prediction we go to mid 2021 uh vaccines available and you know we're using the waldner group vans and containers to um make sure we're tested and vaccinated do you think when do you think that's there's a danger at that point where leaders could sort of slip back into the the pressure's off me now? Um, perhaps I could just go back to the normal way of doing it. Do you think we're in danger of sliding back to just kind of accepting the status quo, or do you think that we're going to continue to push forward? I think it's um, a pretty difficult um, guess, really, Asif. It's a, a great question, though. Um, I, I guess there will be that sense of almost business leaders wanting um, almost a break. One thing I think we're particularly concerned about is the bandwidth of our, our leaders at the moment. Um, you know, naturally we're, we're rightly concerned about the mental health and the, the well-being of, of our workforces, but I personally worry that 
we've got some some very stressed business leaders that are dealing with phenomenal challenges keeping their business alive making sure that they're, they're the people that work there and their associated families are, are paid and that they can keep the lights on the mortgage paid and, and food coming in and i think that's enormous pressure whilst you know through a pandemic but also facing some quite um you know unique and significant sort of geopolitical changes as well so what next summer will look like i think is very hard to tell naturally um sat right now it would be uh, i think obvious to say it, it would be great to to pause and, and take a breath but who knows what we might be facing next summer so i'm afraid i can't give you a, a conclusive answer but that kind of point that we mustn't forget about the the mindset and the well-being of our business leaders and make sure that actually they they can just take their foot off but again that comes back to ralph's point about great leadership it's that ability to have the foresight that this is a team effort and that you've embedded processes and technology in your business so that it's not just all on your shoulders and to be able to trust and empower your team to be able to deliver your vision it shouldn't just be on your shoulders alone as that mm. business leader yeah so you know <laughs> Just taking Ralph's example of, you know, I, I can't imagine the amount of hours that the team must have pulled, you know, four weeks of working very intensively like this. Um, it does it does sort of take that toll. And perhaps that's kind of why it, it's one of the reasons why that level of agility is is, is so difficult to, to adopt for an SME. And maybe one of the misperceptions about it is you've got to be on 24-7 as opposed to understanding that maybe this this goes in sort of cycles. Um, there's a period of being really busy and a period of sort of downtime and a period of really busy and downtime. And, and maybe sort of that, that cyclical approach. Ralph, do you think that um, that leaders kind of really understand that that things like that will come in sort of flow, you know, up and down or levels of intensity will, will go up and down? And Or do you think that people just think, oh my God, I'm going to have to be pulling you know 12-hour shifts every day between now and the end of the year? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, th there's an expression, uh, or, or also there's a question that, that came up uh, early uh, beginning of this pandemic, um, black swan event. Is this a black swan event or is it not? And honestly, it is not because uh, there's an official document from Deutsche Bundestag, so the, the German government, out of 2020. And there's a, a risk analysis on uh, the risk of uh, water floods, etc. And in the same paper, uh, 50 or 60 pages, they are discussing a new coronavirus, Novi SARS, they called it. And what will happen if this will uh, lead to a pandemic? 2000, no, it was 2008 already, 2008, 12 years ago. And uh, they had this, so the politicians had this. And if you read this today, unfortunately it's, it's in German, but I can send you the link, of course. If you read this, this is exactly what happened. So more than 90%, they were right. So they could have been prepared if they said, okay, how likely is a pandemic? Yeah, zero point whatever percentage. Uh, we, we don't take this into account. But in the future, they will, I think, think different. The leaders will uh, think, okay, maybe not as um, uh, a big impact as the, the COVID-19, but it could be different. It could be something else, whatever. And uh, 
only yesterday I read that there's a new um, virus in, in China coming, uh, a swine uh, virus, uh, also difficult. So it is going on. What I want to tell is, yeah, they will be prepared better in the future, and um, but they won't uh, ask for 12-hour shifts all the day. Yeah, so be clever, be prepared, maybe follow a plan, set up a plan, set up a, let's say, pandemic plan for 2025 when the next one is coming and, and stick to it or, or write it and, and then look at it. Can we adapt it? Can we use it? Do we have to change it? So be prepared for whatever comes. And, and I think you know, um, we could never get away from this this subject, no matter what um, uh, uh, topic we discuss on podcasts. But uh, there must be an element there, uh, Ralph, of you know surrounding yourself with people with the right skills and capabilities to help because you don't have to do it all on your own. So, so Charlotte, you know, from your work, how critical is skills as an issue to, to kind of our industry? It's, um, it kind of feeds into the last question, question actually, Asif. I was just thinking, actually, I've been with Make UK for seven years now, and there has always been something. There has always been a you know priority of the day, something that has been challenging the manufacturers. And if we go back to when Make UK was officially formed as the Engineering Employees Federation, at the time, it was really um, around the labour force became organised, the trade unions were born, and the employers recognised that they needed a a joined up coherent voice to be able to engage with the trade unions to ensure that they had a, a positive outcome. So you have the formation of, of EEF then and over the years we've then responded to the needs of the sector. So over the years we've um, developed into one of the largest employment law firms in the country because we house a, a team of experts to provide that people advice to the, the manufacturing sector and that then fed nicely to be able to provide health and safety and sustainability advice. Uh, and until recent times, the biggest consistent issue for our members has always been skills. So actually today, if Make UK were to have formed as EEF did 125 uh, years ago, we'd have done what we've done in Birmingham and invested £40 million to train literally hundreds of specialist apprentices. So taking you know, what the sector needs um, and investing what, what really is needed. So skills absolutely um, remains at the heart of um, you know, the challenges for manufacturing. And it's a real big concern right now through COVID-19. What we can't do is see a hollowing out of our technical training provision, particularly our apprenticeships. So we've seen a massive downturn. I think we're at 79% decrease of apprentice starts between the ages of uh, 16 to 18, I think, and 40% uh, across the wider age categories for apprenticeships. And what that will do is it will stop, particularly those capital invest. Uh, you know, intensive training programs, it will be really hard for the training providers to make sure that they're keeping their kit up to date and investing whilst the, the cohorts remain so small. And we mustn't, you know, allow that to happen. So I think for the manufacturers to remain competitive, we've got to keep that eye on the ball for the future that once COVID passes and, and other, you know, big um, sort of hurdles that are in our way. Skills, again, once it will boil back up to being um, the big priority and the, the big challenge. And yes, we've got to focus on having those technical apprenticeships uh, going through. We must make sure that we, we're you know, training uh, the right roles that it's right to go to, to university for. 
We've got to make sure that we engage our schools and make sure that they see manufacturing as an exciting, highly productive, highly paid career that offers global travel and loads of other benefits. Um, and also back to that leadership point, we've got to make sure we invest in our leaders and, and train those people and, and make sure that we do so throughout their whole career. It can't just be a, a quick injection of, of knowledge at 18 to 21 and, and you're on your way. Yeah, so this sort of sense of continual continuous professional development as opposed to a I've got to go on a, a course and that's me done kind of thing um, uh, particularly around leadership yeah I see, I see uh, this this brings me to to my profession as, as an interim manager I'm always yeah learning new trades new businesses and uh, I'm also yeah coaching the, the teams and you can see this Waldner uh, project also as um, a, a coaching project. I'm an external guy helping them to develop in a very short time a new product mm. line, a new mm. business model. So uh, the leadership here is also to accept uh, somebody from outside the company going in for some weeks, some months, or even uh, a year or so to support my um, professionals that are there, but they are so stuck in their daily business. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure this this project would not have been uh, that fast and that successful if uh, a Wardner employee would have done it as a project manager because he's so in his daily business and I was I was not free I also had uh, different uh, uh, things to do but I, I was really focused on this I, I had more time to focus on on this project and this is also uh, important. So to, to give, as a leader, to give somebody, either inside or coming from outside, the, the time and the freedom to do it, yeah, to, to, to really serve. It's a really good point, because from what you're both saying, you know, leadership is, is, is kind of almost like a juggling act. You've constantly got to juggle probably about a, a number of priorities. And as nice as it's, it's to say, you can only have one priority. I don't think that, that truth exists anymore. There's... What's important right now, you've got to kind of get it done. And if you do surround yourself with the kind of right people, and, and maybe, you know, Ralph, what, what you were saying is, is kind of have the trust to, to bring in someone outside with a fresh perspective. Potentially that might be a way to, you know, kind of enable some of our you know, SME mid-market customers to, um, to achieve the same kind of results. And that kind of brings me on to the last of the big questions. Um, so let's imagine that we, you know, we're all sat in a room and we've got uh, 10 managing directors from, from companies in the room and they're saying to us, and I've heard what Charlotte has to say and I've heard what Ralph has to say and I 100% agree, these are leaders we're talking to. Their question is, where do I start? So Charlotte, what, what advice would you give any managing director in terms of this is the first thing you should do? I think you've, you've got to start with small steps. I think one of going back to our discussion around digitalization and technology, I think one of the barriers there is we think about some, you know, great big grand blue sky thinking that really is quite intimidating for the business leader. But when we break it down into to little bite sized steps, um, I think it becomes a lot easier. I think having that um, that want and the ability to go out and to ask the questions and not be scared to ask questions and take advice. So engage with your universities, engage with the catapult centres, um, you know, experts like yourself, Asif, go and ask those open questions and 
you know, be prepared to listen, but also challenge those concepts because they might not always translate directly into your business, but then take them to your business, to the people that know it best, your employees, and get the best out of them. I, I always think it's amazing when you pass a problem to people without structure and, you know, constraints. Some of the, the ideas that come back can be absolutely phenomenal. So I think it's got to be that leadership position of, of you know, Try and do it in, in a step-by-step -step basis, have a, a direction, but don't tie yourself to a, a really structured plan because that might change. But go out, seek the advice, um, and then employ it amongst your teams, the people that are there to, you know, the great talent that's in your business to help it succeed and thrive because it's in their best interest for their employer and, and the, the place that they spend the majority of their time to do really well. Great advice. Uh, so, Ralph, what 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 would your top bit of advice uh, be to this kind of this group of managing directors that we that we might be talking to? Yeah, where, where to start is difficult to say. This is really depending on the company and, and the business. But uh, what what they should do or what they should be open to do is uh, uh, be prepared. Uh, Charlotte already said it right now. So, prepare some kind of let's say plan imagine what what can happen uh also partner we this is what i did not say yet uh, we had two partners in our team external partners we we, we couldn't do it uh, all on our own we we are specialists for laboratory infrastructure but we are not specialists for laboratory equipment so we we partnered with the uh, largest uh, laboratory equipment wholesaler worldwide so they 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 gave uh, their inputs, their advice about the processes, the, the the testing equipment. So partnering, be open, talk to other companies. Uh, don't don't really uh, uh, think you and your guys are the most clever on 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 this planet. No, partner, collaborate, prepare, and also yeah, learn learn from others, learn from. Uh, the mixed teams we had, we had uh, 65 to the youngest was 22. So also I, I strongly believe in, in, in a mix of culture, mix of color, mix of age and experience. Uh, and, and this that makes really uh, a strong team. And I would really recommend every C-level, uh, including COVID, C, <laughs> um, to... <laughs> to to allow this and and to transform digital transformation is also organizational transformation mm -hmm. and it's also we're talking at the end about people yeah yeah and there's another theme that does consistently come up in all of our conversations is kind of that that sort of concept of surrounding yourself with a diverse team of people who could think completely differently to you and then combining all those views and that maybe is kind of you know where, where your plan comes from so um, so Charlotte, we're, uh, again, I'm, I'm one of these fictitious 10 managing directors and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm completely convinced by what uh, you know, Ralph and Charlotte are saying. Um, where can I go to get some help? So where are some of the places that I could, as an SME leader, um, go and get some help to take this kind of first, second, third step? It'd be a total own goal, as if, if I didn't say if you're a manufacturer and actually talk to, to make UK. So... Um, and we tend to enable a, a lot of what Ralph has identified as well, that peer-to-peer that -peer sharing of best practice, almost being an industrial magpie is a, a phrase I crudely coined um, a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, there's a, a whole plethora of support out there. Arguably, um, they're 
there can be too much noise sometimes, but we've got some, some world-class universities. We've got some world-class high-value manufacturing catapult centres and, and wider centres in the, the catapult network. You know, as if you do a great job, particularly supporting skills and championing skills for um, the manufacturing sector. But I think Ralph's point of go and speak to new people. Don't just talk to people if you're in automotive in, in the automotive sector. Go and see the food and drink sector. Go and actually one of the things we've done a huge amount around um, sort of the future workplace is talking to sectors that are not manufacturing. So we've been taking manufacturers to the offices of accountancy firms because they're trying to recruit the same skilled people, those with very strong maths and, and mm. physics type backgrounds. And yes, you might not be able to employ all of that blueprint to a, a manufacturing facility. I can't see anybody flying around the, the shop floor on a Segway or you know a, a walking treadmill, but there certainly are some elements that you can, again, steal with pride um, and apply. So it's being curious, go be curious, but there's a lot of support out there. But do make sure you, you talk to someone that you trust about what support to take and, and how to open that door because there's a lot out there and you could waste a, a lot of time. Great advice. So uh, I'm kind of trying to do my usual bit of summarising the key nuggets of, of um, wisdom that we've heard from you both uh, today. And uh, so let, let me give it a go. The key to attaining this, this type of digital agility and transformation, it, it seems to start right at the top. It, it, it's, it's a responsibility of leadership to kind of own this and drive it within their organizations. And it requires uh, an organization to step back, take a good long hard look at their own capabilities and try and translate that into, you know, what value do those capabilities offer? And then just ask themselves, you know, where else and how else could they apply that value in maybe unique and differentiated ways? Get a team of people together. Maybe these, these people are inside the business, outside the business, some of your partners, some of your suppliers, other customers you do. I'm not, I'm not even sure it matters, but get this team of people together. Surround yourself with people with the right levels of skills and perspectives and go out there and, and, and try and solve a problem. And also be prepared to take a lot of small steps and uh, do, do lots of course corrections you know, along the way. So again, you know, I really hope that something that you've heard on today's episode has inspired you to go out and do something, try something, ask yourself, what do you think that's impossible that you could actually have a go at actually doing? Because as we heard today, ordinarily, the sort of transformations and developments that Ralph and the, the Waldner Group would have tried to have done would have taken at least 12 months, but they did it in four weeks. So go and ask yourself what else you think you'd like to do in that sort of dramatic point of time and, and really give it a go. And it sounds like there's lots of help and, and support out there available for you. So um, it just leaves me to say thank you to both Charlotte and Ralph for uh, being such great guests. So thank you very much. It's been great to have you on the program. Thank you for the invite, Asif. Thank you very much, Asif. And to thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.